The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. How are you, folks? Tom Rush is our guest. You could call him a lot of things musician, performer, entertainer, storyteller, singer, guitarist, more and more songwriter. He has a new album out, Voices is on Appleseed Recordings. Mr. Rush, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on, Paul. It's a great pleasure. I've been collecting your albums for some time. I really enjoyed this one. And you've been writing uh, quite a lot lately. How has that been for you? Well, it's been curious. It's been curious. I've not... I've I've written more, I think, in the in the past couple of years than I have in the past few decades. Uh, I'm not quite sure why that's happening, but I'm not complaining. I'm happy with the output. I've always done, as you know, I've always done mainly other people's songs, maybe one or two of my own. But uh, this album, except for two traditional songs, is all stuff I wrote. And uh, that's not happened before. But you don't have any idea why. The muse just showed up. And the muse has been showing up, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've been jotting jotting things down when it happens. And, uh, so it was, it's it's been a fun process. We actually ran short of songs down in, uh, in Nashville. We recorded the basic tracks on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And Tuesday night, Jim Rooney, the producer, got all upset. He said, wait, wait, we've only got 11 songs. I wrote one down twice. We've only got 11 <laughs> songs. He got very upset and I said Jim what is there a law or something he said no but it's customary <laughs> and I and I said okay Jim calm down we're gonna we're gonna I've got it I've got this covered we're gonna number the album the way Trump numbers the floors on his towers <laughs> we'll have songs we'll have songs one through six and eight through twelve nobody will notice <laughs> and he would he wouldn't he wouldn't go for it so I had to go back to the hotel and, and write a song that night and that's where if I never get back to Hackensack, came from. Uh-huh. So tell us a little bit about Mr. Rooney. He's produced quite a number of albums. What is he like? Oh, he's a he's a gem to work with. I've I've known Jim for forever since God was in third grade. He used to uh, be part of the Club Forty Seven scene back in the early sixties in Cambridge, and I've known him since then. And he's now a you know a very well-respected producer in Nashville lives in Vermont, but he goes down to Nashville and he's got these bunch of players that call themselves Rooney's Irregulars. And they come in and they just, they know what to do. They've got this Nashville telepathy going on. And Rooney's Rooney's the perfect producer for me because I tend to want to tweak and fiddle and fuss with things until there's no life left in them. And Rooney's philosophy is if it feels good, it's good. On to the next. You know, don't worry about, don't, you know, don't worry about uh, perfection. Uh, Worry about it feeling good. And uh, so we, you know, it's not at all unusual to get things in the first take when you're working with Rooney. I also took down, I took a a young keyboard player named Matt Nakoa down to Nashville with me, who's a monster monster talent he's been playing with me on stage um for a few years now and uh, he's got his own career but whenever possible i bring him along and i'll be bringing him to ohio 
but he he came down he was he was knocking out these studio players down there some of the best players in the world and Matt's over in the corner playing Chopin on the rickety upright <laughs> I heard two of these guys saying I don't think he's from around here <laughs> It seems like singers, recording artists, whenever they do an album, inevitably they get asked, which song is your favorite from this collection? But I would ask oh. you instead, I would not ask you that, but I would ask you if you could pick a song on the album to represent the album, like if you only had one to present from this album, Voices. Also a difficult question, but which one would it be? Well, I think it would be voices. The, uh, the and I and I actually named the album that for that reason. There's a there's a lot of diversity uh, there, which is not unusual for my projects. And they sound a bit schizophrenic. There's a little, you know, a little. But on this project, there's a rock and rolly tune. There's a couple of introspective, quiet songs. There's a silly song about hack and sack. There's, you know, it's it's all over the map. And the song voices, I thought of for any of them. Uh, sort of encapsulated the idea that if you listen, you can hear voice, you can hear voices uh, in all kinds of places. And so that, that, I guess that would be the tune I would pick to represent the album. I really, really like that song voices. And I'm hoping you can tell us what, what were your thoughts? What was going through your head when you were writing it? You know, I, I was just thinking about this earlier today. I do not remember writing songs. Unless it's a song like Hackensack, where it takes a lot of right brain activity. You've got to figure out, uh, you know, go to the Atlas and <laughs> look, at, look up silly names in New Jersey. And I remember writing that one. But the songs like, like Voices and, and most of the other ones on the album, I, I have no recollection of writing them. They just come, they kind of happen. Would you say that there is any theme, could you identify any theme that runs through your music? There's so many things that seem to go through music as a whole, love, religion. Could you pinpoint one? You know, I, I've thought about that as well. And uh, I think it's it's stories. The uh, I look at all these songs as stories. And with, with with a couple of them, it's pretty blatant. The uh, uh, Cold River song is is definitely a story, but I think of I think of them all as being being stories and with visual imagery. The, those two elements, stories and visual imagery, are would be the common the common thread. But as I, as I mentioned a minute ago, there's there's all I'm all over the lot. I've got. Up tempo songs and down tempo songs and sad songs and silly songs. So I think those would be the two elements that that are consistent: stories, images. What about the song "Going Down to Nashville"? Tell us about that one. Well, as I said in the liner notes, I think it's the one, <laughs> the one age-appropriate song on the project. I'm, most of these songs are written from the from the viewpoint of I don't know. A, 23 year old or a 35 year old and going down to Nashville is an older guy who's looking back on life and uh, trying to, you know, close, close a circle. I, I've never, you know, it's, it's entirely made up. 
I never had a, a a love in Nashville that I've always regretted leaving. But I think, you know, we all have, at least people of my generation, we all have things that we wish we'd done differently. It would be nice to be able to go back and if not, if not make everything right, at least try to try to tie up loose ends and, and have a sense of closure. You were saying that you regretted leaving Nashville? Well, in the song, in the song, it, it's, um, you know, the prettiest girl I ever saw. The last I was in Nashville, boys, was many years ago. The prettiest girl I ever saw, she begged me not to go. But I left anyway, and I traveled all over the world, and now I'm old, and I wonder if she ever thinks about me. I know she's married, but I'm going to go back and say hello and say goodbye. Hmm. How do you go about selecting a song that you want to sing when it comes to other writers' material? What is it about a song that maybe makes you feel like you want to perform or record it? Uh, well, there's the, of course, the goosebump dimension. If you know, if if a song really hits you on a on a uh, visceral level, that's a that's a good sign. Um, and I think again, stories and visual image Im- imagery. Are the uh, are the common thread? I, mean, I, I was thinking I I go from Joni Mitchell's "Urge for Going" to Bo Diddley's "Who Do You Love." I wear a cobra snake for a necktie, um, <laughs> and I love them both. How important do you think it is to listen to a variety of music? I I think that's it's always a good idea. I don't listen to enough other people's music I think I, I should I should listen to more because I I get ideas for songs and it's it's very very often it's like reading poetry I'll, if I'm reading poetry I'll, lines will pop into my head and they very often have nothing to do with what I'm reading or what I'm listening to but it somehow puts you in a listening and reading uh, puts you in that space where ideas can can come come flooding in On that note, one of the songs from this album by Tom Rush, Voices, a classic, a standard folk song, Karina, Karina. And I'm wondering, did you listen to other versions of the song, like, for example, the Bob Dylan version? How did you come up with the arrangement? Um, I didn't. I didn't actually. I mean, I'm I'm sure I've heard Dylan's version and, and other people's versions over the years because it's as you say it's a standard uh, it's been done a lot so i'm sure i've i've heard it but i didn't i didn't sit down and say okay i'm going to research this one it came the arrangement came about basically noodling around and an open d tuning on a 12 string guitar and uh i came up with a guitar arrangement that i liked and the guys in nashville just uh, <laughs> took that and uh you know, made it made it lovely. <laughs> you might be interested to know that my wife is named Karina, and she's a Dylan fan. And she said, "I think this version is better, the Tom Rush version." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's high praise. That is very high praise <laughs> from Karina herself. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because Matt Nicola, the keyboardist, I was talking about. He he thinks that's the best cut on the on the project. Oh, 
Do you like to have some kind of relationship with the writers when it comes to the writers that you have covered through the years? Um, I would say, I would say no. I like to have a relationship with the song, but usually when I learn a song, if I learn a song from somebody else, I will listen to the original version as little as possible. I'll listen to it until I think I've, I've learned it. And then I won't listen to it again because I want my treatment of it to drift away from the, the moorings and to become, you know, become different, become more, more me than, than whoever wrote the song. So, you know, I, I do have relationships with, with a lot of the writers, but I think it's the relationship with the song that is most important when it comes to recording or doing a show on stage. It could be difficult at times, and there's no rule that we would have to put you in any kind of category in terms of, is <laughs> you know, are you a folk musician? Are you a, a singer-songwriter? Are you blues? I guess you could say all, but how would you, if you had to, categorize yourself? I, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's your job. <laughs> I, I learned very early on. My first album came out on a little little local label in Cambridge, and it was being carried at the at the Harvard Coop, which was a big deal. This was the record store in Harvard Square, and they were carrying my album. And I I went in, and uh, I saw that they had it under the in the in the folk bin, and I. Some of the manager over said, "Now I, I do some folk songs, yes, but I, but I also I also play some blues on this." And he said, "Okay," and he took the album and he moved it over to the blues section. And I said, "Well, but wait a minute! I, I not only do folk and blues, but there's a," uh, and he you know he moved it a couple more times and then gave up and just put me in miscellaneous. <laughs> and I learned my I learned my lesson. Um, I don't know. I'll be in, in as many categories as as I can be. Because I again, I, you know, there's an up song, there's a down song, there's a sad song, there's a funny song, that, and they're they're you know I I bound around among the genres as well. I guess I don't know if uh, America. What does Americana mean? <laughs> does it mean anything anymore? I know that folk doesn't mean anything except an, an acoustic guitar. Yeah. To me, folk folk songs are the the traditional songs, Barbara Allen and Karina Karina that have been around for years and there's a hundred different versions and none, none of them is the, the correct version. That's a folk song. If you wrote it, it is not a folk song. Even if you're Woody Guthrie and you wrote it, it is not in my definition, a folk song, but nobody observes my definition. So I think that the labels have come to mean less and less. And I guess I'm, I'll go back to Jim Rooney. Is it good? Does it feel good? Hmm. Then it's good. Well, nonetheless, amongst artists that maybe someone would think of when they think of you, either people that you have interpreted their songs or just, I don't know, just artists like Arlo Guthrie, maybe, or your John Prines, do you feel any kind of familial, is there some kind of community that you feel with artists like that? Well, I I look up to both Arlo and, and, and John. They're you know, they're both 
monstrously talented and creative people. So I would, you know, I'd be honored to be considered in the same, in the same sentence with them. Do you think you, it's more important to be humble or more important to be confident when you're an artist? <laughs> <laughs> I am confidently humble. <laughs> well, I think, I think you need to be confident, especially if you're going on stage. You have to, at least for that moment, feel it, feel that you're totally capable of doing what you're setting out to do. Otherwise, you're in deep trouble. But I think then when you come off stage, you have to be able to say, well, that was okay, but it, uh, this, this and that could have gone better, and uh, I'll try to fix it next time. So I think, I think you need to have both, uh, both elements, but maybe not at the same time. Is there any commonality that you noticed amongst your fans? White hair? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've actually got fans from, uh, from across the generations, but the preponderance of my, of my crowd are the baby boomers. I think they're, they're, uh, they're very, very sensitive, perceptive, intelligent people. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your experiences in radio. What are your memories of that time that you spent? Oh, Lord, I, I started out, if your listeners don't know this, I started out having a little radio show on Harvard's, Harvard's little FM station while I, was, while I was a student there. And I, it was a live music show. And I had to get guests to come on my show because it was I was the, you know, I was the host and I would do a song or two, but my guests would do most of the music. So I had to go find guests to come on the show. And I was not born to be in radio. My nickname on, at the station was Dead Air. Because I would, if I couldn't think of anything to say, I wouldn't say anything. Seemed reasonable to me. But anyway, to find guests, I had to go trolling in the coffee houses, you know, especially on the open mic nights, the hoot nannies, as they were called then. And I discovered that you could get into a hoot nanny for free if you had a guitar with you. And then I discovered you could get in for free if you had a guitar case with you. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd put a six pack in the guitar case and head off to the hoot nannies. And one night I got caught they they ran out of performers. They said, "Hey kid, get on stage." I had to borrow a guitar, and uh, and do three or four songs. And I was terminally nervous. I have no idea what I did. I have a friend actually who was there that night who does remember what I did. But anyway, um, apparently it went over well enough that the owner of the club called me a week or so later and said, "Somebody or other is sick. Could you come down and do a show?" And that's where it started. But it came it came out of the uh, came out of the radio show called the Balladeers. The Balladeers. Now, did you have anyone on that show that you found yourself in awe of? Oh, very often. When I inherited the show, it, was actually, it had actually just been local folkies. But I just I I broadened the net and I decided to get uh, some nationally known artists who were coming through town to try to you know, and try to get them on the show. And I had 
Jesse Lone Cat Fuller was one of my guests, and Pete Seeger was one of my guests, and Odetta, and I can't even I can't even remember who else. Baez Baez came on, but she was one of the local kids. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I had a, I had on a, a lot of guests that uh, that I thought very very highly of. Do you find yourself in awe of artists today? Um. Not often, not often. I, I, I frankly am in awe of uh, this this kid Matt Nicoa, who's playing keyboards with me. He's just monstrously talented. He's a killer keyboard player and sings like an angel. Writes great songs and he's cute, which is why I hate him. <laughs> and there's another another youngster about his age, early thirties, late twenties named Seth Lear, G-L-I-E-R, who, if there's any justice in the world, will be a huge, a huge name um, before too long. You have this new album out, Voices. Does it matter at all to you what the critics say, what the writers, the journalists have to say about an album you do? As long as it's something good, no. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite, one of my favorite reviews for, I think it was the previous album on Appleseed uh, called What I Know, and the reviewer said, "This is better than I expected." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that thought that was, he gave himself away there. Of course, I you know I I, I love it if people people enjoy what I uh, what I do, and if they say so in print or on the radio, that's even better. If it's a negative, I don't think I've gotten many negative reviews, actually. No, I think other than it, it was better than I expected. But but yeah, I'm thin-skinned. If somebody really lit into uh, lit into something I'd done, I'd, I'd feel badly about it. What is the best thing about being Tom Rush? Ooh. Getting to talk to you on the radio. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. <laughs> well, one of the wonderful things about radio these days is it doesn't just air one time in one particular geographic area. It can really, it's surprising sometimes who it reaches. So this is very open-ended, just to give you the microphone. Whoever's listening in, wherever and whenever, what would you say to our audience buy my albums <laughs> I have a I have a kid in college <laughs> I guess that you know it's it's all about connections and, and nowadays the connections are on the internet so tomrush.com is uh is where my my musical family gathers I send out a newsletter in fact and you can subscribe to that it's an occasional thing not a it's not relentless. It's once in a while, but uh, people seem to like it a lot. You can sign up for that at TomRush.com. And I guess the other thing I would say is don't give up on America. Very nice. Well, everyone out there, again, it's TomRush.com. Everything you might need will be there. And so my last question, it's another big question. <laughs> oh, who is Tom Rush? Boy, I, I if 
soon as I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> Still working on that. It'll be our follow-up interview. <laughs> okay. Well, Mr. Rush, thank you very much for checking in with us. It's been a great pleasure. My pleasure entirely. Thanks for having me. All right. Until next time. Okay. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. <laughs>